South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington, working on this program very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Friday, October 28, 2022. A South Sudanese minister says she has learned new skills from her tour to Japan. Uh, the first thing that we have learned is um, about how Japan established local government and how they are operating. And a spokesperson for the South Sudan Army says security has improved at flashpoints between Warab State and the contested Abia region. We are expecting units from national security and national police service to be deployed. Our intention is to create a buffer zone between the two rival communities so that one does not take a move of attacking the other one. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The South Sudan People's Defense Force says the security situation along areas between Abiye and Warab State has improved following the deployment of the military in the area. The spokesperson of the South Sudan Army, Major General Rul Roy Kwang, says officers from the military intelligence are screening passengers and luggage on planes taking off from Juba International Airport to Agok in Warab State. For VOA News, Wake Simon Wood reports from Juba. The South Sudan People's Defense Force said it deployed troops to the border between the disputed region of Abia and Twitch County nearly two weeks ago to de-escalate violence there. SSPDF spokesperson Major General Lulroy Kwong said the forces were given full mandate to end the violence and stop any illegal activities in the area. Speaking to this program earlier, General Kwong said after the deployment, classes have stopped between the two communities. He says to ensure the security situation normalizes, the army is setting up additional security measures to prevent further classes between the communities in Abia and Warab State, including the strict screening of people and their luggage on the planes departing Juba International Airport for Agok. He says the army is deploying a battalion of the necessary unified forces who graduated in recent weeks. We are expecting units from national security and national police service to be deployed. Our intention is to create a buffer zone between the two rival communities so that one does not take a move of attacking the other one. Captain Subek John David, chief executive officer at the South Sudan Civil Aviation Authority, tells South Sudan in focus that his office received a a directive from the office of the Army Chief of Staff, General Santino Dengwal, for authorities at Juba International Airport to step up security checks on all flights en route to Agok Town. People should not be alarmed. This is just a normal uh, operational routine that we carry whenever we get any kind of security alert by by the government or by any other person. General Kwong says screening people on flights to Agok is part of the country's security measures to prevent further classes in the area. There is a great concern that maybe firearms 
maybe guns, ammunition, get uh, transported by air, maybe by companies or by individuals using their luggage. And of course, when guns or ammunition are taken to a war zone, then of course it fuels it fuels the conflict. Abia is a contested area between South Sudan and Sudan, whose ownership has yet to be resolved. Kwong says the deployment of the South Sudan troops is occurring outside the Abia territory and will not affect relations with Sudan. Ariech Mayar Ariech, a lawmaker representing Warab State in the National Legislative Assembly, tells South Sudan in focus that recent measures taken to improve security along the borders of the two communities is yielding results, but he says President Salva Kiir needs to do more to address the recent violence in the area. Uh, for now, uh, for uh, October, the security is relatively calm uh, because of the intervention of the national government. The national government has uh, turned all the peace machinery toward Abia. Ajak Deng, the spokesperson of the Abia Administrative Area Government, confirms SSPDA forces have been deployed outside the Abia box, adding that the Abia administration expects the forces to end insecurity in the area. However, Deng stresses that the humanitarian situation of tens of thousands of people, most of whom were affected by floods, is getting worse. He also says local residents want to be assured that the forces being deployed to the area will protect them, not harm them. The war is there, the war is there, but uh, people wanted this fight to stop, and that these coming forces should be neutral and do the job that they were sent, not to be like the, the one which was deployed before. That is the war now. But people are uh, still hoping that this, uh, this new deployment may, may stop the attack that comes. Nearly three weeks ago, empty young men from Warab State's Twitch County and those from Abia clashed. Officials said 27 people were killed in the fighting. The classes stemmed up from a land dispute between the people of Abia and Twitch County, according to local officials. For VNO, Zamwaki Simon Udo in Juba. South Sudan government delegation returning from Japan in Djibouti say they have brought new skills and lessons beneficial to their country. The Minister of Parliamentary Affairs, who returned from a 10-day visit to Japan, says her group learned how the Japanese local government operates. For VOA News, Juliana Shiapai reports from Juba. Addressing reporters at Juba International Airport on Thursday, South Sudan Minister of Parliamentary Affairs Mary Nawai says her 10 days visit to Japan was very educational to her delegation, including two governors and other ministers. Uh, the first thing that we have learned is um, about how Japan established local government and how they are operating, how they are also giving chances to, to their citizens to participate, to listen to their views concerning the plans of the local government. Nawai says the delegation also learned about the resilience of the Japanese people after the United States detonated two atomic bombs over the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki on August 6th and August 9th, respectively. 
And we also learned something very strange. When uh, America bombed Japan, that is Orizima, in 1945, uh, the people of Japan immediately, two days after the bombing, they took initiative of reconstructing their state, which is very important for us as South Sudanese. The two bombing killed between 129,000 and 226,000 civilians. The bombings remains the only use of nuclear weapons in armed conflict. Minister Nawai says her delegation discussed with the Japanese officials bilateral relations between South Sudan and Japan and encouraged Japanese investors to visit South Sudan and explore investment opportunities in the country. She calls on the Japanese International Cooperation Agency, popularly known as JICA, to expand their operation in other parts of South Sudan. So we are coming back to implement what we have learned in Japan. We also talked about um, how Japanese can come to South Sudan to invest. We also requested JICA to extend their services, uh, road network, clean water, and also bricks to the states because JICA is concentrating in the capital. Another ministerial delegation led by the South Sudan Minister of Information, Michael McQuay, also returned from Djibouti on Thursday after attending a three days climate change and research summit. McQuay says his delegation witnessed the integration of the regional research observatory on the environment and climate change. The summit is part of the 2022 United Nations Climate Change Conference COP27, taking place next month in Sharm el Sheikh, Egypt. This year's UN Climate Change Conference will likely focus on farm plants, finance, and fossil fuels. McQuay says they expect commitments from the industrial countries to help combat harmful impact to climate change at COP27. So far there are no pledges made but because we people are expecting to be going in for uh, COP27 which is expected to be held in Charmashia and this is where pledges may be made. The government spokesperson says countries agreed at the Djibouti summit to spend millions of dollars on strengthening regional cooperation and consolidation of technical scientific knowledge in the the face of global climate change. A sum of uh, 100 million was made uh, by all the countries, but uh, that 100 million, even if it is billion, nevertheless it is not helpful. It is a very small amount because the situation requires more than that. South Sudan is expected to send a high-level delegation to the UN Climate Change Conference in Egypt. For VOA News, I am Juliana Shapai in Juba. We move to the Jungle State Capital Bar, where traders of locally brewed alcoholic drinks are complaining about a ban on their products by the Bar Municipal Council. Officials from Bar Town Council say they have instructed the police to crack down on the sale of locally brewed liquor in Bar. For VOA News, Dengai Deng reports from the Jungle State Capital Bar. Bor Town Mayor Samuel Atenpet says all locally brewed alcoholic beverages and imported alcohol packed in sockets and in small plastic bottles are now illegal in Bor. The ban does not affect bottled and canned beer. Page says he ordered security agents to carry out the former mayor's ban on locally brewed alcohol and destroy the equipment used to make it because hot liquor harms young people. I decided to implement the order that had been previously written by the former mayor, James Guy, and he had not implemented it. I don't know what was the problem, but I happened to implement the order. And that started from three days ago. Uh, there had been an activity in the town trying to take some of the alcohol that are harmful to the 
young generation. Page says he is enforcing the Local Government Act, stating that those who resist or refuse to comply with the ban shall be arrested and produced in a court of law, and if found guilty, shall be fined with an amount ranging from 100,000 to 300,000 South Sudanese pounds and will face a three-month jail term. That economic activity must stop and they seize for another benefit. The charcoal are there, wood can be bought, can be collected in the bush, you sell them. Grasses are going to be collected now, bread, bring them to the town. Lalops will be collected now, bring them to the town and sell them. You go and deal with fish, buy some fish, come and sell them in the town. There are so many activities that are not ample, but this activity of wine, whether you are educating your children in the university with the life of the other people, the government of Jongle State and Board Municipal Council under my leadership will never allow this. And when we found you dealing with this again, it will be a court case whereby you will be ending up in the prison for some months. Jack Grant Corwell, chairperson of the Jongle State Chamber of Commerce, says traders were surprised to see board municipal officials confiscate the stocks of alcohol. Corwell says board officials did not follow proper procedures for implementing the order. This issue of alcohol in Board Town is not a new issue. The former mayor, Guy Makur, issued an order banning all alcohol. We requested three weeks before the three weeks new mayor, Aten Feich, came and started confiscation. We requested more time, like one or two months, or else the alcohol in the shops will be returned to where they were brought. The municipal council implemented the order without our knowledge as a chamber of commerce. Corwell says the order will put several businesses on the verge of failing. It is going to be a great loss because the alcohol is very expensive. It is bought with a lot of money, transported using money, and it is also taxed from where it is brought. If it is going to bring loss to the traders, especially traders who sell alcohol, we don't have any problem with the orders from the municipal council. Our concern are the procedures. They were not followed. We want the alcohol to be taken away in a way that will not cause loss to the traders. Bortown resident who prefers to be identified only as Sarah for fear of reprisals from security forces say she brews alcohol to hand money to pay for food, medicine and school fees for her children. Sarah says she could switch to selling firewood but going to the forest to collect firewood is dangerous. It will be difficult for me now to start a new business. The alternative could be for me to deal in food items or go and collect firewood from the forest. But what about the insecurity? This is an issue. Sarah says the mayor's order will make life harder for local people like herself because it denies them the only source of livelihood. She urges officials to fix the country by focusing more on big issues like insecurity. For VOA News, I am Dengai Deng in Bor. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Abortion is on the ballot as the November 8th election near in the United States with both major parties pushing their opposition stance. 
On Tuesday, President Joe Biden said if his Democratic Party wins a legislative majority, he will codify the right to abortion access into law. Reporting from the White House, VOA's Anita Powell looks at this contentious issue. U.S. President Joe Biden has pushed his economic agenda while campaigning for his Democratic Party before the November 8th elections. But high inflation, energy prices, and economic anxiety caused by the pandemic and the war in Ukraine make the economy a tough sell against Republicans, who have made economic struggles their main grievance. The Oisnead Powell reports from Washington. On Thursday, with less than two weeks before Election Day, President Joe Biden visited upstate New York to tell union workers how his administration defines success in managing the economy. We're in a much better place. Ten million jobs created since we took office. A record for any administration in American history. Unemployment is at 3.5%, the lowest it's been in 50 years. 5.4 million Americans applied to start small businesses, the highest level ever in American history. This is the argument the administration has been pushing that despite high gas prices and record high inflation, the true reflection of the economy's health lies in larger indicators, like job growth. And what do voters think? VOA caught up with some voters in the lately populated western state of Wyoming, a Republican stronghold. Randy Mulkey is a roofer. When we had Donald Trump in office, uh, things were the economy was looking good. Uh, People's retirements were doing good. Everything else is doing good. And uh, since he's been out of office, now you see all that stuff take a hit and started dropping down pretty bad. Republican figures are largely echoing this argument ahead of the November 8th elections. No matter what office they're running for, candidates say that if they win, they'll oppose Biden however they can. Arkansas Republican gubernatorial candidate Sarah Sanders. Whoever our next governor is going to be has to be capable of standing up and pushing back against Joe Biden and his bad policies that are infecting all of our country. As this chart shows, Americans' cost of living has risen over the past year. And as this chart shows, the U.S. inflation rate is 8.1%, higher than average among G7 nations, but low compared with the global average. But pollsters say when it comes to the economy, dry data doesn't sway voters. Anxiety about their own bottom line does. Chris Jackson is senior vice president with Ipsos Research. He spoke to VOA via Zoom. Essentially, when we ask people what their single most important issue is, the economy beats everything else by at least three to one. And economic anxiety can drive a desire for political change. I do think it tells us that Americans are concerned about the economy, concerned about sort of the broader economic climate, and they sort of blame whoever is in power at the time for that. So right now, that is the Democratic Party. So chances are Democrats are going to have a harder time in the midterms. Americans will find out how that plays out on Election Day, November 8th. Anita Powell, VOA News, Washington. Still on U.S. control of the U.S. Congress is at stake on November 8th when American voters will elect new representatives in the House and Senate. As VOA's congressional correspondent Katrin Gibson explains, just a handful of races across the country will decide whether Democrats remain in power or Republicans win the majority. Democrats seeking to hold on to their majority in Congress in this year's midterm elections, rallying their voters with a promise to protect abortion rights. President Joe Biden. If you care about the right to choose, then you got to vote. Voters don't turn out for midterm elections in the same numbers as presidential elections, 
but the U.S. Supreme Court decision in June to overturn the 49-year-old federal protection for abortion focused attention on the issue in key congressional races. In the Midwestern state of Ohio, voters saying it brought them out to support Tim Ryan, a Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate. Ohio voter Lisa Soboski. I believe that Tim Ryan will stand up for women when it comes to the opportunity to be able to choose their reproductive rights. Voter registrations among independents and women have increased since the Supreme Court decision, but analysts are still unsure whether that will be enough for Democrats. American University's Amy Dacey. We saw over the summer is engagement. We saw an increase in registrations. Now the question is, and, and you, you'd have to ask you know, voters, is this the top issue that they're voting on mm-hmm. or is it a part of many issues that they're looking at? I think you know that the challenges with issues like the economy and With the U.S. economy still recovering from the COVID pandemic, Republicans argue Democrats are responsible for high gas prices and rising inflation. Many voters, particularly in rural areas like Wyoming, agree. Wyoming voter Kelly Krakow. Inflation's about 8%. The cost of like houses, the repairs up about 25, so you're going to see about a 30-some percent increase. So that's hard on the people because when you have a 30% increase in costs, the prices go up that much. So it's put a damper on that and it's going to hit people's wallets big time. 79% of American voters told Pew Research Center that the economy would be a very important factor in their voting decisions. Immigration and gun control also rank high among voter concerns. So does public safety. Amy Dacey. I do see a shift in some of these races in the states where Republicans are leaning in more to um, the crime issue, especially against some incumbents. And Democrats have emphasized election security as the January 6th committee has kept the attack on the U.S. Capitol on the minds of voters, like this one in the southern state of Virginia. Virginia voter Karen Kraft. I'm voting against election deniers and anybody that's a supporter of Trump. 35 U.S. Senate seats are open for election this year, along with the entire 435-member U.S. House of Representatives. Katherine Gibson, VOA News, Washington. The U.S. Africa Business Center of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is holding its first Africa digital innovation competition for Africa startups. VOA is working as a media partner with the Africa Business Center on the initiative. Out of 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in Africa, 10 finalists have been selected. We'll bring you a look at each one. Today, we feature Ryan Katai from Zimbabwe. His company, Farm Heart Africa, is a tech company that helps small farmers with logistics, market access, and information on crop demand. Its goal is to increase household income and productivity. The company is one of the 10 finalists in the Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups, organized by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, U.S. Africa Business Center. My name is Ryan Katai. I'm age 26. I'm from Zimbabwe, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Farm Heart. I'm 
applying to this competition that was continental, um, it was a matter of us putting us on a bigger stage where we would actually see what the external environment thinks about what we're doing um, and the validation also proving to us exactly the potential that we actually have. For us, it really meant a lot, um, especially with the morale of the team, uh, given that, you know, it's it's like a stamp to be told that what you're doing qualifies of all the thousands that applied this year. Uh, but then to me personally, it meant that we were on the right path and keeping on going on that path meant that, you know, we're meant for greater things that we also envision as well. So FarmHeart is a business-to-business agri-tech startup um, that is focused on connecting farmers to retailers, restaurants, schools, and other companies. Um, what we're doing is that we're ensuring that our farmers earn more, um, whilst also restaurants, retailers, and all the other businesses that we're supplying to are paying less. By so doing, we're ensuring that they have an increase in household incomes and also find better economic opportunities as well through their farming businesses. Looking at the stories that we get from the farmers that we work with um, daily, and some of them even come to us after probably three months, some even a year, um, you'd get that it's not just about the money that they're getting through, but then, you know, we've actually improved their social lives. Um, you know, now most of them can afford to even come to a rally. They can afford to access health care. And we work with more women than men. Um, so you find that it's, it's not an easy industry for a woman to be operating in and having to be working with them. We've also noted that it, it has helped them a lot, especially when it comes to contributing economically to the country as well. If I'm the one who received the notification, we to tell my team. Obviously, my team is going to talk about us celebrating. Obviously, we're going to do that. Um, but then I think I'm going to give tribute to my grandmother. Um, she is the one person who really motivates me to wake up every day and keep doing what I'm doing. That, that will be the steps of what we do. Um, everything we do, we do it as a team because we believe you know, we can't get anywhere without each other. So it, they're the first people that I'll inform. Then I'll get personal with myself and be happy. That was Ryan Katai from Zimbabwe. His company, Farm Heart Africa, is a tech company that helps small farmers with logistics, market access, and information on crop demand. Its goal is to increase household income and productivity. The company is one of the 10 finalists in the Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups, organized by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, U.S. Africa Business Center. We love to hear your remarks on issues in our news. Nabil Biagio is ready with this week's listener comments. Over to you, Nabil. Thank you, John. We heard from several of you this week about our coverage of the Eastern Equatorial State Government decision to deploy security forces along the road leading to Kenya from South Sudan. But first, we start with some recorded messages. I'm Gatkwas Manum Shwankujia from Yuba. Hello, News Desk, John Tanza and Nabil Biaja. I totally agree with the wide decision taken by the government of Torit for deploying the forces along the Torit. Road to contain rising insecurity, which has caused alarm and disrupted movement in the recent past. I blame the ambushes and highways robberies in the illegal firearm in the hand of civilians at the use of the area of this contribute in the insecurities. I'm calling on the, on the community not to fear that the government will provide protection and let them cooperate with the forces in the ground. Hello, BOA. I am Abora Landrangu in Rumbek, Lake State. 
I personally welcome the decision done by the government to deploy security forces along Torit Kapoida Road to quell down the insecurity that has disrupted the movement along that highway. Thanks. This is Peter Goch and Yang Mujong, ruling Jongleng State South Sudan. As Ebola virus infection has increased in Uganda, I urge the local authorities, including the Minister of Health, to set up some measures in order to control the spread of the virus. Daniel Dundagbai from Rakmajok, a lake state who writes, Hello, John and Nabila stand firm with the decision made by the governor of Eastern Equatorial State to deploy security forces along Torit Kapoita Road to quell highway robbers who have been ambushing and killing road users. This is what we need as citizens because food cannot come to the table by its own. It is the ability of the person to bring food on the table by any means. Thank you, Honorable Governor, for putting the lives of the people first. The views expressed here do not reflect the views of VOA or of this program. We appreciate hearing from you. Keep those comments coming. Keep your voice and text messages coming. Our WhatsApp number is plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. We shall sample some of your brief voice and text comments every Friday. That's all we prepared for you this Friday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you in a dancing mood and the song De Calais Danse La Paix. Listening to the song De Calais Danse La Paix. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us next week for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Sagacite.